You are the light of the world, Jesus said. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Imagine you have just arrived in New York City and you're going to check out some museums, get some good food, hang out with friends, and you get there, you land in the airport, you hop an Uber to your hotel, you go across town just as you pull into the hotel, things go dark. And you come to find out there's been a power outage in the city and you think to yourself, I've heard of this happening before. There was the New York City blackout of, I think, 1977, then 2003, and then 2019. It's happened before. You just weren't expecting it to happen again on your visit. So you get out of your Uber, and you walk into your dark hotel, and they hand you a flashlight and a candle, and the computers aren't working, so you have to fill everything out by hand. And then you, uh, you know, walk up the stairs to your room because the elevator's not working and you're feeling like it's kind of hot in your room because the air conditioning's not working. So you go and you open the shades so that you can crack the window to get a little bit of air, and as soon as you open those shades, you notice there's a hotel just across the street that's all lit up. And you're thinking like, what is going on? And you open the window a little, and while everything is dark in your hotel, that hotel has light on. And you hear there's music coming from that hotel. You're like, there's a lot of joy over there, but there's darkness here. What's going on? So you take your flashlight, you take your candle, you go back down the stairs, you go and you walk across the street. And the city is dark. The storefronts are dark. The restaurants are dark. The houses are dark. The street lamps are all out. But this hotel is all lit up. And you walk in, and you've got music and you've got TVs on all of the walls and CNN is talking about how New York City has gone dark. But this hotel has light and you, you walk in and you are getting in line to get some food and it's like the only place to get food because all the other restaurants have, you know, can't serve food because there's no power. And eventually you talk to a manager and you're like, help me understand what's going on here. Like this whole city is dark, but you guys have light. What's going on? And she says to you, I've been getting that question a lot. And actually, it's really fairly simple. When we built this hotel, we put in a gas generator. So what is going on in here is not dependent on what's going on out there. Because there's something going on in here that isn't reliant upon what is going on out there is not dependent upon it. We have something built in that gives us the ability to transcend the darkness in which we're finding ourselves. Jesus said to his followers, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Jesus is saying you have something built in that gives you the ability to transcend the darkness. You've got something in here, meaning in you 
and in the community called the church that God's given you that is not dependent on what is happening out there. Jesus is talking about how his followers will show up in a society when that society's gone mad, when that society is all dark. How will they be light? How will they be in the dark world, but not of the dark world? In other words, it's this idea of, as Sky Jathani says, Christians and culture. How do you follow Jesus? How do you let your light shine? And um, before we totally dive into it, can we just get like a couple things out of the way? Because for some of you, you're thinking, oh boy, here begins a pitch for like super cheesy Christian t-shirts, signs, and bumper stickers. And let's just get that out of the way right away. Um, it's not about that. Uh, you, some of you are thinking, oh, this is, a, this is where we start talking about isolating ourselves into super weird Christian subcultures, um, Christian bubbles within the world. No. I think Jesus is talking about what is built on the inside of you, underneath, behind the exterior walls. He's talking about building infrastructure into our lives so that you might shine long after the lights have gone out. The hotel could shine because long before the power went out in New York, they had developed the sort of infrastructure needed with a gas generator on site, like it was built in. And here's the thing, it probably didn't make a lot of sense when they were building it. There were probably a lot of voices that were like, don't spend your time on that. Don't spend your energy on that. That unseen thing that nobody is paying good money for, don't spend your time on that. Don't spend your energy on that. Like, put it into designer furniture. Put it into awesome carpet. Let's put our money there. That would be better spent. But here's the thing. When things go dark, nobody cares how nice the carpet is. <laughs> when the lights go out, what we need is light. When the lights go out, what we need is Christ and the community. That is what we need when the lights go out. And there are many ways in which the world is dark. And Jesus says, you are the light of the world. You, the church, are my Father's plan for bringing love and light and joy and peace to this world. You are God's plan. You could say it this way. You are God's plan for changing the world. It's not a government. It's not a strong economy. It is you, the followers of Jesus. And, you know, beyond the Christian bumper stickers and T-shirts, there is also this increasingly popular idea or just common idea that a church is only relevant to the extent that it uses its platform, um, uses its uh, communication to engage politically. That's an increasingly common idea. It's also an increasingly common idea that you, as a follower of Jesus, are only relevant in the world if you engage and get outraged at the right moment about the right things. 
And I think that that idea is profoundly misguided. <laughs> like, it's this, if you think about it, it is the same temptation that Jesus faced when he was in the desert. Like, when the, when the devil came to him, the scriptures say this. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor, and said, all this I will give you if you will bow down and worship me. Basically, the temptation presented to Jesus was be relevant, seize political power, and then you can change the world. Be relevant, seize political power, and then you can change the world. Jesus resisted that temptation. Jesus did change the world, but it wasn't through establishing a government. It wasn't through developing a strong economy. In other words, it wasn't power and it wasn't money. His plan to change the world is you. You are the light of the world, the church, being a light. That's his plan. That's his plan to change the world. So we're just going to talk about like three infrastructure things in our lives and in our church that are a light in the world. The first one is to pray and not complain. The second is to act and not react. And the third is to love especially your enemy. These are practices for us individually and as a community. So first one, pray, do not complain. Have you ever thought about the fact that the scriptures, the Bible, it's very interesting, never commands us to complain about our leaders or to even defend them, but it does say a lot about praying for them. Like pray for your nation, pray for the president, pray for the media, pray for people who are vulnerable. And I was talking to a family who has adopted a little boy, and there was a period of time where that little boy was really afraid their son, very afraid because he was afraid he was going to be deported from home. Now, some people would say, well, that's because of some stuff going on in the government. And other people are going to say, no, that's the fear mongering of going against the government. And I just want to be like, there's a little boy who's afraid. We are to pray. We are to pray and to believe that this is not a passive thing, but this is the very place of power that Jesus told us to pray and to pray for those who are vulnerable and there are vulnerable people all around you all the time. People right in your midst, there are 30 million refugees in the world. Half of them are children. Pray, pray and not complain. It's not passive. Prayer is revealing that we truly see change coming from God. And one major way that people will shine in the places of darkness is to pray and not complain. Prayer is like an infrastructure in your life and in the life of communities of faith. It's unseen. It's behind the scenes. But when the lights go out and everything seems dark, it is what will carry you. When someone says to you, you know, did you see the latest headlines? Did you see what the president is doing? Or did you see what the former president is doing? May it be your knee-jerk reaction to pray, to pray and not complain about whatever that latest thing on the news is. So that's the first infrastructure thing. The second is act, do not react. Now, some days it does just seem like the world has gone mad, right? Like every day you're expected to show up on something, um, some reaction to something that our world is facing, and it can sometimes just feel like whiplash, right? But followers of God in the way of Jesus, they act and do not react. In other words, they don't get on that hamster wheel. 
they resist the temptation of getting on the hamster wheel that says the only way you will be relevant is if you are reacting to everything that is coming at you. They find the areas where they can serve, and they apply themselves there. It's interesting, uh, there's a book called To Change the World. It's written by a sociologist named James Davidson Hunter, and he says when a society is healthy, when a society is flourishing, many different spheres of the society are flourishing. The arts are flourishing. Education is flourishing. Religion, economy, like lots of different areas are flourishing. He says, though, when a society begins to fracture, everything begins to revolve around politics because people begin to think that the only way to see change in the world, the book is called To Change the World, people begin to think the only way to see change is through force, through changing laws, through coercive power. And very, very interesting observations. He says the more fragmented a society is, the more people orient their lives and conversations and think that political power is what matters most because they think that is the way to change the world. And eventually, all those other spheres, anything that is not political is seen as irrelevant. This is a quote from his book. He says, power, when things are fragmenting, power now does the work that culture used to do. Isn't that interesting? Power in a fragmented society is now doing the work that culture the arts and faith communities, education, all these different spheres, culture used to do. This is seen in the tendency toward the politicization of nearly everything. Politicization, he says, means that the final arbiter within most of social life is the coercive power of the state. Our times amply demonstrate that it is far easier to force one's will upon others through legal and political means than it is to persuade them or negotiate compromise with them. What adds pathos to this situation is the presence of resentment defined by a combination of anger, envy, hate, rage, and revenge. I just find that so fascinating when societies begin to fracture. We look to power to do the work that culture used to do. So if you want to flip that, if you want to be a part of the resistance, then you see that your involvement in these spheres, your showing up there is like weaving a tapestry in a place that is being fragmented, being pulled apart. Because when things are fracturing, we think it's better to force our way through politics than it is to persuade or negotiate or compromise or do things relationally. And eventually, anything that's not political is seen as irrelevant. But friends, that's not the way of Jesus, right? Jesus brought opposing people together at his same table. And if you have been around our church long, you know we have a deep commitment to being a Christ-centered church and we work hard to try to not be co-opted by any political agenda. People will sometimes say like, so is your church like, you know, right wing or left wing? And the answer is, we're for the whole bird, <laughs> right? The entire, that's like why the, 
That's why the logo is a messy nest. We were thinking about starting a brand called All Birds, you know, like all, but someone already made some shoes called All Birds. <laughs> but it's true, like the gospel challenges all sides of the political aisle. And we need faithful followers of Jesus showing up as Republicans and as Democrats. We need faithful followers of Jesus showing up on, in both of those parties and faithful followers of Jesus who are willing in those parties to part with their parties because their allegiance isn't first and foremost to America, but it's to Almighty God. Right? Yes. That's, that's saying, like, we live in a strong and unshakable kingdom of God. That kingdom is not in trouble. Neither are we. So though there may be great pressure, our allegiance is to Almighty God. We're following the teachings of Jesus first and foremost. That's what it means to be a part of the way, the way of Jesus. And the gospel's going to offend every side of the political aisle at some time. So if you never part with your political party, perhaps you could question your ultimate allegiance. Because gospel of Jesus, just teachings of Jesus, they just don't fit nice and tidy in any storyline of empire, if you want to say it that way, of which we are one, right, as a nation. So as a church, I would just say, like, we strive to be apolitical. And it's not because we're wishy-washy. And it's not because we're not willing to take a stand. We are apolitical on purpose for a higher purpose. And that purpose is to help people, all people, become passionate, devoted followers of Christ. Because Jesus didn't die to save America, right? Jesus died to save Americans on both sides of the aisle and all around the world. And that's what we're about. That's what our mission is about. That's what individually our mission as followers of God in the way of Jesus ought to be about, and that as a church is what we're about. I mean, I, just, I think one day we're going to spend eternity in heaven with some people that we disagree with politically right here and now, so let's start practicing. <laughs> like practicing heaven here. You know, we're with Paul when he said in Philippians 3, but our citizenship is in heaven. We eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. That means that as followers of God, in the way of Jesus, yes, we engage in political processes, but we give our ultimate allegiance to no party or no leader or no human government. We place our deepest trust in Jesus alone. We say with, with Shane Claiborne, Jesus for president, right? And more specifically, like, you're not going to, hopefully, you're not going to hear us um, talking about, for example, like, what the minimum wage should be, right? That is not a conversation that we're going to specifically say, this is what we think the minimum wage should be. But... Hopefully, you will hear us reminding everyone that the values of the kingdom of heaven, the teachings of Jesus, are about generosity and about justice, and it is not the way of Jesus to only care and vote for what puts more money in my own pocket. Another example would be like, you're not going to hear um, me saying, this is the exact number of immigrants that should be allowed into our country, but you will hear us 
talking about how Jesus commands us to love the poor and care for the vulnerable, for the stranger and for the alien among us, that Jesus himself was a refugee. You will hear us talk about that, how he would instruct us to care for the refugees among us. So these are gospel matters, but faithful followers of Jesus work them out differently. What we share is Christ's teachings to guide us and challenge us. And in the church, the teachings of Jesus ought to challenge us all. So those who shine, they're going to pray and not complain. They're going to act but not react in this world. We're going to pray and get involved. You're going to know your lane and trust that you don't have to show up in outrage for every single cause because when societies are flourishing, there's a tapestry being woven in many different spheres, in many different sectors, and all of those matter, not just politics. You're showing up in those spheres as you are right now, right here, right now, your showing up in those spheres matters to the tapestry of a flourishing world. And then lastly, we will love, especially our enemies. Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. When we take Jesus seriously, our lives begin following his teachings to reflect the values of the kingdom of heaven. And we begin to see people, all people, as people who Christ died to save. So here's a challenge for you. Would you pick someone, maybe somebody in the political realm, who you don't like, who if I said their name right now, you would cringe? if you heard their voice come through on the speakers right now, would make you cringe. Can you pick someone? And maybe write down their name, like in your Bible or in your journal, and pray for them on a regular basis as a spiritual practice of practicing spontaneous love for your enemy. One of the ways of being a light in the world is to develop the sort of posture on the inside, the sort of infrastructure on the interior of you, that there's a spontaneous love for your enemies. That you have that knee-jerk reaction to pray and not complain, to act and not react, and to love especially your enemies. You are the light of the world. The source of this light is the risen Lord Jesus who resides in you. And Christ by his spirit, is like the gas generator in the hotel. He shines forth in you and through you in the world because you've built your life on his teachings and the values of his kingdom. And when we do that, we are not dependent in here and in here on what's going on out there to determine what's going on here. Like, we've got something in here that because it's not dependent on what's going on out there, gives us, right here, in this community and in your life, in your soul, in your body, what out there does, just doesn't possess, cannot. Like you have something built in that gives you the ability to transcend the darkness in which we find ourselves. You are the light of the world. May it be so today, we pray. 
Lord Jesus, thank you for your teaching. Thank you that it challenges us. I pray that more of you, more of your lordship might reign in our lives. I pray for each person in this room. I pray for us as a community. May each person here shine as you have created them uniquely to shine. And may we as a church shine your love and justice and mercy in a dark world. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.